When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. You're listening to Kaleidoscope, a podcast about identity, faith, and social engagement. I'm Deborah Jan Lee. In between shows, we'll be bringing you some mini-episodes. These episodes feature bonus material from past interviews, and sometimes we bring you special segments. Today we'll be doing a special segment. It's called Hashtag Help, and it's Kaleidoscope's very own advice column. Our listeners ask their hearts burning questions, and we get our guests to answer them. So, listener, yes, you, if you've got a life quandary, we want to hear about it, and we want to get you some answers. Email us at kscopepod at gmail.com. You can even send your question as a recording. And to make this extra fun, tell us who your dream person is to answer your question. We'll do our best to make that happen. Today, we're featuring advice from M. Barclay and Ibu Patel, guests from our first two episodes, which you might want to check out if you haven't heard yet. M. answers a question from a white listener who's having trouble talking about racism with her white family. And Ibu opens up to a fellow nonprofit director who's struggling to make their work financially sustainable. We start with M. M is a director of Infleshed, which provides resources for queer and trans spirituality. They are also the first openly non-binary trans person commissioned as deacon in the United Methodist Church. All right, here we go. So the question is, I am a white, straight, cisgender woman. I consider myself an ally, but after the 2016 presidential election, I realized I was avoiding talking about race and racism with my white family members. At that moment, I committed to having uncomfortable conversations with my family about white supremacy. I made several anxiety-ridden phone calls with relatives. Then my grandmother called one day to say, I think you're just disappointed your candidate for president didn't win. I was heartbroken and angry. I feel like my family has become dismissive of me. What advice do you have for someone who feels like their white family members have stopped listening? Well, first of all, I'm glad that they're asking the question. (laughs) I guess my advice would be to not let that stop them from continuing to have the conversations that they need to have to just keep saying what is true. Um, And I think that the important thing for white people who are engaging with family and friends is to um, as long as it's you know healthy and not extremely toxic, keep staying present um, to the relationship and to to try out new ways of saying things. Um, I think the 
the reason talking to people we're in relationship matters so much is because we understand the person, right? We know what's important to them. We know what their story is, maybe what scares them about um, addressing white supremacy. And so feeling dismissed can, you know, suck, <laughs> um, but not as bad as racism. So, <laughs> you know, like hang in there on that um, and uh, talk to other white people and see what, what works with them, like when they talk to their family, because this person is, you know, one of many people who probably feel this way. Um, and so I would just say, like, keep having the conversation, keep having um, conversations with other white people uh, and just don't give up. And I know that racial justice is a priority in your work. Can you talk a little bit more about tools that you've picked up along the way that seem useful when it comes to white people talking to white people about racial injustice? So one of the most helpful tools that I've come across in recent years is uh a book called Dear White Christians by Jennifer Harvey. And um, it's definitely more about communities than it is like talking to one-on-one individuals. Um, but talking to communities is the way to talk to many individuals, right? And uh, I think it speaks really importantly to the ways in which Christians, white Christians, can sometimes be uh, the most unhelpful <laughs> in terms of addressing racism because we just throw love at everything, right? Like if you just if everybody just loves each other, it'll all work itself out. Um, and I think the church perpetuates that lie. Uh, and this book, Dear White Christians, um, addresses the the structural issues in that sort of conversation. And I think it really importantly speaks to all the ways that well-meaning liberal white denominations have tried to address racism over and over and over. And here we are. I mean, what it hasn't done any, a lot, right? I won't say it hasn't done anything, but it hasn't done enough. Um, and so it, it takes a reconciliation uh, framework and draws out the problems with that and replaces it with a reparations framework. Um, and I think that a lot of white people need to start considering um, shifting to that narrative and that approach and that set of tools. That was M. Barclay dropping some knowledge. Up next in Hashtag Help. Ibu Patel. He's a president of Interfaith Youth Corps. It's a nonprofit that aims to make cooperation among religions a social norm. Here's me and Ibu. So here it is. Dear Kaleidoscope, I'm an early 30s executive director of a social justice nonprofit. I love my work, but for the past two and a half years, I've had to work multiple jobs to support myself. For people who have done this longer than I have, how did you build a sustainable life? And when I say sustainable, I don't mean just making rent. I want to do things like take vacation or order Grubhub whenever I feel like it. I don't want to pinch my pennies. What are the specific steps you took to work towards both personal and organizational sustainability? What processes did you use? What organizations and resources did you rely on? Yours truly, Working Towards Holistic Wellness. Dear Working Towards Holistic Wellness, this is a hugely important question. And uh, I think I have a, I have a two-part answer. The first part answer was, is I got lucky. It's just, just that simple, right? There's a lot of things that happened at IFYC that were just dumb luck. Part two is I realized that raising money was my primary job and I might as well do it 
in millions rather than hundreds. Part of this is to put to put myself in situations where I was around really wealthy people to speak in a way that made both the work and the the uh, organizational structure of IFYC attractive um, and to keep at it, right? So there, there's many dimensions of this, but uh, I stopped thinking that money was a dirty thing. I stopped thinking that I was too good for money or for billionaires. Uh, I started to recognize the deep utility and requirement of a highly well-funded organization. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say, but we're an upper middle class organization. We occupy the 32nd floor of the Chicago Board of Trade. We spend thousands of dollars on our staff retreats. We pay our staff extremely well. I get paid extremely well. The reason that I can do this at the level that I do this is because of all of those things. And part of the compromise there is we don't deal with quote unquote justice issues on on economic things, right? We deal with issues around pluralism and we uh, raise money from a range of outfits that I probably vote against at the polling place. So part of this is skill. Part of this is just a personal approach that's like, I'm going to raise money, I'm going to raise a lot of it, and I'm going to enjoy it and be good at it. And part of it is, this is not actually a conflict with what we do at this organization. And I am a part of an economic system in which people like me do really, really, really well, and other people don't. Every time I step into a taxi, I think to myself, I get paid by a significant factor more than you do. Am I really worth that much more as a human being? I mean, that's, that is a faith question, right? Just because I happen to be good at reading, writing, and thinking, is that justified? It's probably not. And the direct answer to your question, to, to the questioner here is, that's how one does this for the long term, unless you're Dorothy Day, which is why I admire her so much. Mm -hmm. And I just had to come to terms with the fact that I'm not. I am not that hero, right? Mm -hmm. I am I am an institution builder. I'm a writer. I'm a speaker. I'm an educator. I'm not a hero. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of the people that I interview and work with, they're they are struggling, quite frankly. You know, they do amazing, impressive work, but sometimes they wonder if it's financially viable for the long term. And I think that's that's the struggle because... They see, they are educated. They see what they could have. <laughs> they see the jobs and the salaries that they could have. And yet they're doing social justice nonprofits that sometimes are very, they fall into the gaps, you know, like funding goes towards certain organizations. It's like a very clear direct line between funder and organization and cause. And some of them, because they are at these intersections of so many identities that are controversial to some, they fall between the gaps, and I think, I think that's what this questioner is trying to navigate, and that's their challenge. Yeah, it's, it, is, it is very hard. This is every well-funded organization, right? I mean, 
every well-funded organization, by definition, has money from people who are wealthy. Otherwise, the organization doesn't exist. And if you have money from people who are wealthy, you are taking advantage of an economic system that you know is deeply unfair to lots of people, right? And if what IFYC principally did was around fair and just economics, that would be a deep hypocrisy. That is not what we principally do, right? Um, and the alternative, and this is again, I'm going to say it again. This is Dorothy Day starts the Catholic Worker Movement in 1933. She moves into St. Joseph House on the Lower East Side of Chicago. She lives in solidarity with poor people, not for 47 weeks or 47 months, for 47 years. And she dies in the Lower East Side at, at Mary House. I have so much respect for that. And she was never particularly impressed with herself, which is what I have even more respect for, right? Um, I'm not that guy. That's it for this mini episode. Don't forget, if you've got a life quandary, email us at kscopepod at gmail.com. You can even send your question as a recording. And to make this extra fun, think about your dream person for answering your question. If you could ask anyone for advice, who would it be? Think about it and then tell us. We'll do our best to make it happen. We'll be back next week with another full episode featuring Pastor Danny Cortez and his son Drew. We'll get into the coming out experience that turned their worlds upside down. Kaleidoscope is produced by Dennis Funk with amazing support by co-founder Aaron James Brown. I'm your host, Deborah Jian Lee. You can find out more about the show at kscopepod.com. Our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is at kscopepod. Thanks to the BTS Center for funding Season 1. If you're into the show and you want to hear more in the future, please consider supporting us. Our Patreon account is kscopepod. Or use the Radio Public app, where we get some coins for each listen. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps, too. All right. I'll see you next episode. In the meantime... Let the world see you. When they do, they'll never be the same. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. <laughs> <laughs> you will be right Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. 
Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.